Please uh, open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. We started this new series last week, and it's, it's it's a wonderful story. So I'm excited to get back into it again. I was saying in the early service that I feel like I just have too many things to say about this book and this chapter in particular. So I will try to be careful of my words and not keep you here too long. But I encourage you to to use the sermon notes that we've prepared for you. This might help you to write down stuff that may be applicable to you that you want to remember. There's some in the back, and if you need to get up and get them, that's totally fine with me. If it doesn't help you, don't worry about it. Uh, Just listen and and pay attention as you usually do. But there's a lot of application. So I'm going to try to give you a lot of practical things to take away from this chapter today. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, let me remind you of what the story of Ruth is about. It's a story about Naomi, even though the book bears Ruth's name. Naomi was was a bitter widow. She was Jewish, but she spent about 10 years in a different country in Moab. And so she is coming home in this book. But she's coming home empty. Her husband died and her two sons died. And only one of her daughters-in-law is returning with her to Bethlehem. Now for Ruth, she is a Moabite. She's from Moab. She's not Jewish. She's coming to a different country. And she is showing tremendous kindness to Naomi, who is hurting and feels as if God had abandoned her. But Ruth comes with her with all the uncertainty that all that is involved there, and she serves Naomi. And it's through that kindness, kindness of Ruth, and later as we will see other people, that Naomi's heart is revived. What you will see throughout this book, and we'll see some of that in chapter 2, we see Naomi's heart is getting soft again towards God and hope returning to her. And she's learning that God is kind, that God is gracious, and she is restored. So she's coming home physically, but she's also coming home spiritually and emotionally. There is a homecoming in her heart that happens, and we'll see that throughout the book. We'll kind of follow, follow that arc along. Well, somebody said that God's grace often has a human face. That is certainly the face of Ruth to Naomi. God shows his grace through the kindness of Ruth. But Ruth is not the only face in the story. And so today, in chapter 2, we're introduced to the chiseled and handsome features of Boaz. Boaz comes on the scene. Very exciting. If you, if you know the story, this, this, is, this is tremendous. Boaz comes about. Now, I told you last week that you know if you think about this book as a romantic comedy, which, which it is, you might start by, by humming a, a Harry Connick Jr. song or an old Motown number to get you in the mood of what the story is all about. Well, today I have a very particular soundtrack for Chapter 2. It is Sting's Fields of Gold. So you may remember that song. I won't sing it, but it goes like this. You'll remember me when the west wind moves upon the fields of barley. You'll forget the sun and his jealous skies as we walk in fields of gold. Well, this is a budding romance here. Ruth meets Boaz. They're going to get married. They're going to have children. And and God's grace is going to pour through that marriage and that family 
into Naomi's heart. But today, this is when they meet. This is that first encounter of Ruth and Boaz. So let's read our text. Sorry for a lengthy introduction, but let's read Ruth chapter 2, and we'll see how this part of the story reflects God's kindness to us as well. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was one of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left after she was satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest, 
And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, that is our text. That's part of the story we're focusing on today. I'd like to divide it up into three parts that are conveniently alliterated for you. Three parts. Let's look at the search for kindness. Then secondly, let's look at the supply of kindness. And lastly, at the surprise at kindness. Now, the whole book is about kindness, human kindness and God's kindness. And today, let's look for the search for it, the supply of it, and the surprise at it. Now, look at verse 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, here we see a great difference between Naomi and Ruth. They're both empty, they're both poor, they're both needy, they're both hungry, uncertain about their future, but Ruth sets out to look for help while Naomi stays behind. Naomi has accepted her fate. She'd rather stay home and be bitter. She'd rather not do anything about her situation. Now, I'm not trying to minimize her pain. She's really hurting. But at the same time, she's making a decision to stay home and to not pursue anything. Ruth goes out and searches for favor. She searches for kindness. She wants change to come to her life. She's putting herself in position to receive kindness from someone. Now, undoubtedly, she is hoping uh, that a certain provision in the law of Moses would be helpful for her. Now, look, for example, at Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. This is God speaking to His people in the law of Moses. God commands, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, what we see here in the law that's given to all Israel, that God cares for the poor and the foreigner. And God says, I'm going to institute a kindness into your life so that when people are poor and they need help, they can just come to someone's field and they will find food there. You see, Israelites were forbidden to gather everything they could from their field or their vineyard. They're supposed to leave some for the poor and the foreigner. Ruth knows that. She must have heard at least that part of the law. And so she goes looking for that kind of field and that kind of a person that would allow her to do that. Now remember, this is the time of the judges. Many people are not following the law. So she needs to be careful. She needs to find the right person, and she needs to find the right field where she'd be able to find and glean grain to sustain her and her mother-in-law. And so she happens on the field of Boaz. Now, I think the writer is, is coy here, whether he or she is, is sort of playing with us a little bit. They're saying she happened accidentally, randomly, just happened on this field of a man who is following the law, of a man who has accepted that institutional kindness of the Lord into his life. That's not accident. Of course it's not. The whole story 
It's about God's providence and how God is directing these people into situations where He was going to bless them. So even though from Ruth's perspective, it seems like it's just circumstances, happenstances. I mean, she's not, she doesn't know what to expect. But God blesses them. She goes out to look. She's looking to see, is there some kindness out there that somebody's going to help me? And she finds this built-in kindness into the law, into the life of Israel. Now, I'm calling it institutional kindness because it's been instituted into the life of Israel. And as long as people followed the law, there was always provision for the poor and for the needy. Now, let me, this is a little bit of a tangent, but let me make an application about this for our lives. Do you have a built-in kindness into your life? Is your life set up in a certain way that allows you to help others? In other words, are you taking everything you can from life and taking it all for yourself, or are you leaving some out there for others to glean? So let me give you some examples. On an individual level, do you set time aside to help somebody? Or are you just so busy that your, your day and your night are spoken for, and so somebody asks you for help, you just don't have time to do that? Or have you set time aside? For example, after church, you just say, I'm not making plans after church because I'm hoping somebody will be there that I can take out to lunch. That's built in. See, that's institutional. How about money? Do you have cash on you in case somebody asks for money? That's hard. That's that's part I struggle with. I feel like in my life I've, I've have... I've not set up my finances in a way that I can easily help somebody because I, I never have cash on me. But somebody asks for cash, somebody asks for money, I should be able to help them, shouldn't I? Now that's something that you have to think beforehand. That's something that has to be built into your life. And God does that through His law in particular. Now friends, many of us think the law is oppressive. Many of us think, why is God trying to run my life? Why all these commandments and rules for my life? And yet, what do you think Ruth thought of God's law when she came to Boaz's field? What do you think she felt about God's law? She was thankful. She thought, man, God is so good that he would make these kind of commandments for his people. He would institute kindness into the life of his people so then I can benefit from it. Let me say that all of God's law is like that. All of God's rules, all of God's commandments are for your good. God isn't saying they would really like to do that, they would really enjoy this kind of behavior, but I'm not going to let them do that. No, God is saying do this because it's good for you. Don't do this because it's bad for you. Do this because it's good for others. Tithe so you can help others. Set a day a week aside so you can worship me and help others. Those are all good laws meant for you. Embrace it as a good thing in your life. Now let's talk about this institutional kindness on a, on a corporate level as a church, how can we as a church be the kind of church that would welcome people to come and glean at our field? Well, one way to do it is to set up a pantry, a food pantry. Now, we have it set up. Peggy, by the way, is a point person for that. So talk to Peggy about that specifically and how you can be more involved in that. But if somebody comes to the church, it's instituted. We're set up to help them now. We can say, we have a room where you can just go and glean. You can pick stuff you, you need. This is wonderful. This is a good thing for a church to have. Get involved in things like that. Whether you need it, so come take it. Or whether you can give, come give. When you go grocery shopping, think about maybe buying a couple extra things. 
given to your neighbor or given to the church, to the pantry. Think about your life in a way that it needs to be set up to show kindness to others. Now that's, that's how God wants us to live. That's how other people are blessed through our lives. Now, let's get back to Ruth. She's not hanging back like Naomi, but she's actively searching for favor. She's looking for that field where she can glean. She's looking for a person who, who would follow the law and help her. Now, it's a good principle for us anyway to search, right, to go and be active. You know, if you don't have a job, you shouldn't sit back. You should go and look for a job, right? Any p- part of life would be applicable uh, for, this, for this principle. But let me apply it specifically for your spiritual lives. Now, I've spoken to people who are in a very difficult spiritual season. They feel empty. They feel dry. They feel that God is not talking to them anymore. They don't feel His presence. They're not joyful with Him anymore. The Bible doesn't seem to make sense anymore. The prayers are cold. And so the response to something like that uh, could be two, two options. One would be the option of Naomi and say, I'm just going to sit back and stop trying and not do anything. and I'm just going to feel bad about myself. Or it could be like Ruth who says, I'm going to go and search for kindness. I'm going to go put myself in a position where God might be present, where God might show his grace to me. Now, of course, this is God's work. This is God's initiative. It's God's sovereign choice to bless us. He gives amazing spiritual experiences to some and withholds them from others. That's his choice. He knows better how to deal with us. But we need to put ourselves in a situation, in his path, where he might do something like that. So if you feel dry, if you feel empty, don't be like Naomi who says, well, I'm not going to come to church. I'm not going to read the Bible anymore. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to come take communion because I don't feel it. And so you give up. This is the wrong response. Ruth teaches us, don't give up. Go search for it. Put yourself in a situation where God is, where God speaks, where God helps, and maybe God will show up. John Newton, the old pastor and a hymn writer, says, If you get nothing from trying every day to go to the throne of grace, I can absolutely assure you that you are going to get nothing from staying away. Newton is saying, if you're trying to pray, and if you're trying to read the Bible, and if you go into church, you come into the Lord's table, and nothing is happening for you, What do you think is going to happen when you stay away? Definitely nothing is going to happen. So he's saying, keep going. Keep trying. So for us, this this is a very, very acute point of application for many in our congregation. To say, when you feel that, when you're struggling, when the Lord doesn't seem to be present in your life, when you're wrestling with whatever issues you're wrestling with, don't pull away. Pull closer. Come to the Lord's table even if you don't feel it. That's okay. You're not offending the Lord by not feeling something. But you're coming. You're saying, here here I am, Lord. If you choose to restore your presence to me, if you choose to answer that question, if you choose to, to work in my heart in a new, special way, I'm here. I'm waiting. I'm here looking for that field to glean from. Don't give up like Naomi. But go forth and search for that kindness like Ruth. Well, Ruth happens to come to the field of Boaz. Look at how Boaz is described. He will be the one to supply Naomi and Ruth with kindness. Now look at how Boaz is described. 
He's called a worthy man. A worthy man. This is a, this is a loaded word here. Some translated this way. I think this is a, it's a very good translation of that term. Boaz was a man of substance and standing. Substance and standing. If Jillian is listening right now, this is what I want on my tombstone. When I die, I want on my tombstone, if it's true, <laughs> to say he was a man of substance and standing. A good way to describe someone. Don't you want to, don't you want people describe you like that? Man, that Roger, a man of substance and standing. Don't you want somebody to say that about you? Isn't that great? It means that he had resources. He had substance to him, right? He was a serious man. He was responsible. He had resources to bless others. But he also had a standing, a reputation. He had certain nobility about him. He had a certain morality about him. So he had something he could bless others with. But he also wanted to bless others with what he had. See, there was the resources, the ability to bless a man of substance, but also a desire to bless a man of standing, a man of substance and standing. And so he comes as a helper, as a redeemer, as a rescuer for Ruth and Naomi. Now Boaz is a devout man. He's a religious man. Even before, even before uh, Naomi, or Ruth, rather, Ruth shows up, we see that Boaz is greeting his people by saying, the Lord be with you. And they respond by saying, the Lord bless you. I don't think it's just a cultural greeting. I think it, it tells us that he lived a godly life. He lived a God-centered life. You see, his field is ready for others to come and glean from. He obeys the law. He tells, his workers know that somebody could come and glean even before he shows up and gives his permission. It tells us that he lives a different kind of life. He is a godly man, a man of substance and standing. And he's going to be one to help Ruth. See this kindness that Boaz has towards Ruth and Naomi. It's not simply legal. It's not just simply required by the law. Yes, he did what the law required. He loved the edges of his field untouched so others can glean from them. But he does much more than that. Look at verses 8 and 9 and see how he blesses Ruth. He says, Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He says, I'm not just going to let you be here. I'm going to protect you so nobody touches you. Remember, this is a lawless time. I'm not only going to protect you, I'm going to provide for you. Come have lunch with my workers. Come eat our food and drink our wine. Work as long as you want here. Go after my young women. Go after the reapers. And whatever they don't pick up, you pick up. And then a second conversation he has with his reapers, he says, don't get everything. Leave some out. Leave some extra stuff for Ruth to take. And so Ruth ends up gathering this tremendous amount of grain because Boaz is kind to her. She goes home with an ephah of barley. Now, nobody knows what an ephah means anymore, right? I know you guys really tried with that metric system and that didn't work, so there's no hope for, for understanding ephahs. Ephah is somewhere around between 20 and 40 pounds of grain. Let's say, let's split the difference. She's, she's taken home 30 pounds of barley. 
That's a lot to carry. <laughs> That's hard to carry. So Ruth is going home, having gotten much more than she had even hoped for. Because Boaz is a kind and godly man. Man of substance and standing. When I was thinking about Boaz and how he doesn't stop with the legal requirements, he gives much more and he, he protects and he provides and he does all of that for Ruth. I, I, I thought of a phrase from the New Testament in uh, Titus 2.14. There's a phrase used of Christians where Paul says, we are people zealous for good works. Zealous for, that's Boaz. He's zealous. He's not doing the minimum. He's not just saying, you know, I'm going to do what the law requires and then you're on your own. No, he's saying, come eat with us. Come drink from our vessels. You don't have to draw the water. Don't worry about your safety. My men will take care of you. This is amazing that he goes beyond, so far beyond what he is required to do because he's zealous for good work. You know, the first thing he tells her, he says, don't go to another field. Now, for many of us, you know, somebody comes in and asks for help. We're just waiting for that other organization, for that other church, for that other person to offer help so we're off the hook. Who else can be involved to help this person? Not Boaz. Not this man of standing and substance. He says, don't go and ask anybody else for help. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do whatever you need. Protect you. Provide for you. You're not going to go hungry. You can stay here, not just today. Come back for all the days of the harvest. And then after barley comes wheat. Comes, come then too. Be fully satisfied in my field. Glean from my field. What a good example for us, isn't it? Would we be people of, that are zealous for good works, that are not just limiting ourselves and saying, I'm going to do my minimum, I'm going to do what I have to do, and that'll be it, and then I'm fine with God and people. No, let's be people who go routinely go beyond, who are looking for opportunities to be good to somebody, to show kindness, to say, we don't have to do this, but we will, because we're zealous for good works. Are you a person like that? Are we a church like that? Somebody comes into us with a need. Would we say as a church, don't go to another church. With all your problems, stay here. We're going to help you. We're going to provide for you. We will protect you. We will help you. Are we a church like that? Now, as you look at Boaz, and I hope you're encouraged, I hope you see this great example of a man of, of substance and standing. I hope that encourages you and motivates you. I hope you look at Ruth and you say, man, what a, what a humble woman. What a persistent, industrious woman. I hope that's encouraging to you. These are God's examples for us, for sure. And yet, they're not enough. They're pointing to someone else. They are a shadow or, or, and a type of someone else who is yet to come. Sure, Boaz is a redeemer, as in he's going to buy back the field for Naomi. We'll learn about it later. But there's another Redeemer. There's someone else who is coming in Ruth's and Naomi's people's lives that will redeem them even better, that would do even more. Now you look at this Boaz, this worthy man. You have, as a Christian, you have to be thinking about another worthy man. You have to be thinking about another man of substance and standing. One who is going to come and not just feed and not just to protect, but is going to give his life for all of us. You know, Jesus is like is like Boaz, a man of worth, a man of substance, a man of standing. He too had great wealth and honor. Like Boaz, Jesus possessed 
all the resources we need and all the desire to help us. And he too went far beyond what was expected in the law. See, Jesus, you look at his life. I mean, you read the Gospels and you think, man, he, he didn't do just the minimum. Never. Exhausted himself helping people. He's trying to get away, sleep on the boat just for a little bit so he can return to help them. Trying to, trying to get up early so he could pray, so he could be there for when people come. And not just feeding them, healing them, teaching them, gathering them into communities. Jesus does not stop at just doing the minimum. And so many of us, friends, so many of us think of Jesus as providing us with just the minimum we need. You know, so many of us think Christianity is about avoiding hell. And we just think, man... I'm so glad I came to Jesus. Now I don't have to burn in hell. This is, this is such a small part of Christianity. I, I never lead with that. Because I think it's, it's a consequence. It's, it's a side effect that's, sure, it's nice. That's not why you come to Jesus. Jesus says, come glean in my field. Don't go to another field. Everything you need is here. Remember reading Ephesians 1. Jesus says, acceptance is here. Adoption into my family is here. Forgiveness of sins is here. Yes, avoidance of punishment is here. Your guilt is gone. Your shame is gone. He's saying, come to me. All that I have is yours. Are you surprised at that? You better be. None of us have any idea what God is going to give us until he gives it to us. And it is always abundant supply of kindness. You know, I wonder what... Ruth felt when she was coming home to Naomi with this bag of barley, 30 pounds of barley, hauling at home, exhausted from a day's work. I wonder what she's feeling. I wonder how surprised she felt. I wonder how surprised Naomi felt. It's in the text. You can read it. She goes, where did you glean? Who gave you all this stuff? You just went for a day. I didn't even go. I didn't think we were going to get anything out of this. And look, 30 pounds of barley? It's going to last us two weeks. Naomi's surprised that God is so kind to her. And yes, she's thinking about God too. Not just Boaz. Verse 20, when, when she says, when uh, Naomi says, Blessed be the man uh, who lets you glean in his field, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. You know, she, she's thinking about Boaz, but she's also speaking about God. It's not just Boaz's kindness to the living and the dead that she's thankful for. It's God's kindness. And you see how her heart, because of the surprise of somebody's kindness, is being revived. She's coming back to life. Hope is returning. And she's thinking, man, maybe God is kind after all. Maybe he will help us. Maybe he will heal us and give us a future and give us land and give us family. And so she's coming back to life. G.K. Chesterton says that when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. That's the difference. Are you surprised and grateful at what God has done for you? Or you just think that's just how it's supposed to be? Jesus loves me, but he kind of loves everybody, right? So not a big deal. Oh, yes, it is a big deal. But God loves you. A stranger? Just like what Ruth felt, this is what we should feel every time you come in contact with God. Why, why would you have favor on me, a foreigner, 
a stranger. I love the songs we sang before the sermon, this gospel-saturated songs about grace, that's saying, man, if you had not loved me first, I would still refuse you, I would still not go with you. But because you came to me, God, you came and you were so kind to me that I'm able to get everything I need in your field. I am overwhelmed. All I have is you. All my life is you. There's nothing else that touches me in this way. Now, Ruth left that morning, and maybe she was hoping for a little bit of barley to get them through the next couple of days, but, man, she, she received so much more, and there's so much more is, is to come for her. She doesn't even know what's going to happen. You know she's going to marry him. They're going to have children. And from that line would come the Messiah himself. Jesus is coming from Ruth. What an abundant supply of kindness. Spurgeon says this about Ruth. He says, little did she know that amid the sheaves she would find a husband, that he should make her the joint owner of all those broad acres, and that she, a poor foreigner, should become one of the progenitors of the great Messiah. God is very good to those who trust in him and often surprises them with unlooked-for blessings. Are you surprised at God's blessings in your life? And maybe... You're in that dry, empty place. Maybe you don't know God at all. I hope your heart is filling up with his kindness. I hope you come empty, but you leave full because God loves you and is kind to you. Now we're going to finish by coming to the table. And as we come to the table, what do you see at the table? If not, God's kindness to you in Christ. Not just feeding you, but feeding you with himself. Not just signing a covenant with you, but signing a covenant with his blood. How much more can Christ do for you to impress you? Nothing else. There's nothing else he can do. Giving his life for you. Rising for you so you can have life abundantly. If you're a believer, I ask you to come to the table happily. Yes, surprised, but happily that God loves you in Christ. If you're not a believer, or as as Boaz puts it, if you've not taken refuge under God's wings, if you haven't hid yourself in Him and said, this, this is me, this is my life, God is, God is all for me. If that's not you, don't come to the table. It's just going to be bread and, and cup for you. But come to Jesus. Come under His wings. See how incredibly kind He is to you. And be impressed with that. Be surprised with that. Don't take it for granted. Take it with gratitude and be saved today. Not because you don't want to go to hell, but because you want Jesus, the kind Redeemer, a man of substance and standing, who loves you and says, come glean in my field. Let's pray, and then we'll come to the table together. Lord, we thank you that at this table, it's your son's body and it's your son's blood that he's here that he's ready to meet with us, that he's ready to bless us even more. I don't know what spiritual blessings you might have in store for some of us, even as we come to this table. But I won't be surprised at anything you do in our lives. You are a kind and gracious God. You have resources to help us, and you desire to help us. Lord, we're so thankful for that. 
We're not taking it for granted. We know that we are strangers, foreigners, sojourners, walking around your field, wondering if we have a part in it. But you call us. You say, don't go to another field. Come to my field. Glean here. And maybe we can even own it. Share in the inheritance of your son. What a, what a great gospel we have. Don't let us leave discouraged today empty. Pray for those of us who have never heard this gospel or it's never clicked for them. Would you please do your work in their hearts and open them up to the tremendous kindness of Christ for them. May your Holy Spirit come and work in our lives. Remind us of the gospel. Correct us. As we come to the table, make this real for us. Not just going through the motions, but drinking and eating of Christ, being nourished by Him. Lord, we thank You and we trust You.